Welcome to the Gingsberg Podcast. After today's message, take a sec and download the Gingsberg app. It's the best way to find out about and engage with what's happening at Gingsberg. We hope the following message helps you activate your faith and take the next step with your journey with Jesus. Good morning, everyone. Great to see each and every one of you. Welcome to those worshiping online. I'm Pastor Dennis, and I'm just delighted to be here with you. Haven't been with you since the 160th, and now we're all together again. I appreciate Pastor Carl's message last week and all the team. Grateful for them and for you. And boy, I'm thankful this morning for Isabel and the team today. Wasn't that wonderful? Um, And not only do they lead us, but we know their hearts, and we know they love Jesus, and we're just grateful for each and every one. And I'm grateful for you and for this new teaching series that we're kicking off. Our online director, John, this past week posted a question in our forum that I thought was interesting. He got some buzz. So I thought I would start the message just to get us in the listening mode with this question for all of us. Let's just do a crowd participation survey for fun today. I'm going to ask you what your favorite season of the year is. How many would say you love summer? We're winding down summer. How many would say, yeah, 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 I'm with you, I'm with you. Picnic, sunshine, the beach, swimming, trips to the mountains, watermelon, slip and slides. I love summer. Okay, yeah. How many would say Summer's okay, but I love fall. Okay, there you go. A lot more. Crisp air, good apple cider, bonfires, wiener roast, of course, football. What I love about fall is that you can wear a sweatshirt and shorts at the same time. (laughs) I love fall too. Okay, we got to do it because it's one of the four. How many like is their favorite winner? You sick people. (laughs) There's always one or two from Canada. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Don't be offended. Don't leave now. (laughs) A lot of good things in winter. Christmas, New Year's, basketball season, and snow, at least for one or two days. (laughs) Okay. Finally, how many would say spring? Okay. Got some spring people. Yeah. Easter, new life. Um... One thing I love about spring is it's not winter, and, uh, and, and summer's coming, so. Very wise man, King Solomon, David's son, wrote about seasons in the book of Ecclesiastes, which is found after Proverbs in your Bible that we'll be looking at a little later on today. He said this in verse 1 of chapter 3. Of course, some of you remember the birds singing about it in the 60s. The, the band, that is. The band, the birds. To everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. Truth is that seasons of life come and go. And the older we get, it, they seem to go quicker. And it, it seems like, in, in a sense, at least there's a stirring in my spirit and perhaps yours that we're in a new season here at Gingsburg Church God is doing a new thing. We talked about that two weeks ago, that we're leaving the the past behind, as the Apostle Paul says in Philippians, and we're pressing on towards the future. We're stepping into the promised land. 
And we're kicking off a brand new teaching series that will take us six weeks in which we're going to have some fun and we're going to ask some tough questions. We may provide more questions than we have answers for, but that's how we're stretched and that's how we grow. And today we're looking at purpose of life. Let me give you a little teaser. Next week, we're going to go even deeper. So spread the word. We're going to ask the question, is there a conflict between faith and science? Faith and science. Let me just throw it out. I don't believe there is. We don't check our brains at the door, and we're going to talk about that. How do we wrestle with that? The church has been right in the past. The church has been wrong in history as well. So we're going to look at that as we look through the scripture next week. But today, we're focusing on purpose of life. Now, let me say one more thing is the way of beginning a six-week teaching series. This is all preview, folks. But let me share one more thing about... um, the whole matter of faith and about questions and doubt. So I want to say, as pastor, it's okay to have doubts in faith. Now, some of you are just right there pausing, saying, what did the pastor say? Other pastors may not say that, and we'll let them do what they do. Well, no judgment. But from this pulpit, what you're going to hear me say is that there are times where we have doubts. We have doubts. And I actually think they can strengthen our faith. Doubt is not the opposite of faith, it's part of faith. I remember hearing about an atheist who came to Christ and they were sharing some of their story and they were sharing how when they were an atheist, there were times they would wake up in the middle of the night and they would wonder, is there a God? Am I wrong about my belief there's no God? And what if I am wrong? (laughs) What are the consequences of that? And it would bother this person. So atheists even doubt. Then he said, when I came to Christ and I made a decision, there were times in which, even in the midst of my decision, that I had some doubts. Doubt is just part of the spiritual life. The German theologian, Martin Luther, has said, only God and certain madmen have no doubt. And because I'm hoping today that you're not a madman or a madwoman, that you probably from time to time have some questions if you're growing, and that's a way to strengthen your faith. So one last thing I want to say is faith is a decision. And you're going to hear me say that several times over the next weeks. Faith is a decision. I I decide I'm going to believe. I put my stake down. This is who I am. I make a decision. If you're an atheist, you make a decision not to believe. Or if you're an agnostic, you're saying, I want to be in the middle. I'm unsure. I have questions or I'm, I'm unsure, unclear. But that's a decision that you're making that you're unclear You looked at the data, you looked at the evidence, you looked at your life experience, and you said, this is where I'm at, I I don't believe. If you are a believer, you've looked at your own experience, you've looked at history, you've looked at the data presented to you and your understanding, and you say, this is what I believe. You make a decision. Now, there are many reasons that we come to those conclusions of faith, and they're confirmed by many different ways. But one is purpose of life, meaning of life. And that's our subject today. Viktor Frankl, have you heard of him? Out of history, 
psychotherapist, well-known. He was imprisoned in a Nazi camp for several years, actually from September 25th, 1942 to April 27th, 1945, when he was liberated by American forces. And while he was in the camp, all death all around, thinking he was going to die himself, he began to observe people and their will to live. When he was freed in 1946, he wrote the historic book that's still in circulation today, or at least at the library, that's been well known, Man's Search for Meaning. And in it, he talked about what he learned through observation. The difference for people's survival was a hope of the future. He described how prisoners in the, in the camps who had no meaning of life, no purpose of life, no faith outside of just existing, they would give up over time. But he, he watched people who had purpose blown beyond that, hope for the future, that they were more likely to stay in the game. They were more likely to press on and persevere through it all. Frankel went on to form Logotherapy, which said that one thing that's different in people's survival is purpose of life. But then the question comes, where does that purpose come from? If we just all are cosmic accidents that evolved out of the organic soup, then why do all of us have that purpose, that, that meaning, that longing for something more? Where does it come from? How, how did it get there? Richard Dawkins would suggest, who is a well-known, outspoken atheist, 82 years old, uh, still emeritus professor at Oxford, who's written much on this, who does not believe in God, says we're simply a product of an evolutionary fault, an accident, a fault of the universe. I believe 180 difference. I believe totally different. I'm a person of faith. I'm a theist like you, I pray. Is we believe, no, it's not just meaningless, nothingness. I'm a created being. That God has given me purpose. I have a soul that's eternal. And there's a reason I'm here and purpose for life. Do you have that purpose or are you wandering today? King Solomon was wandering. He was longing for it. And this is where it gets to our scripture. He's searching. He's looking at all the different avenues of life. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 Verse 24, if you have your Bibles. So he's saying, how can anyone discover the meaning of life? And he says this, wisdom is always distant and difficult to find. I searched everywhere, determined to find wisdom, to understand the reason for things. I was determined to prove to myself that wickedness is stupid and foolishness is madness. There's actually purpose. Because you see, if we're just cosmic accidents, then there's really no ultimate absolute of right or wrong. It's just survival of the thinnest or whatever the majority says at the time, but you can have uh, shifting morality at that point because whatever works or what the dominant culture says. If this subgroup is, is, is not worth anything, you, you just get rid of them in the camps. There's no really ultimate meeting other than we make our own laws. But is there something beyond that? And he says, it's got to be true that wickedness is stupid, foolishness is madness, he says. So he searched. He searched through pleasure, through, through relationships. He searched through power, through um, accumulation of, of 
empire. If I just have this red chariot, convertible that is, candy apple, <laughs> then I'll be happy. But he, I'm sure he got that, wasn't happy. If I just got this job position, when I became king, I'll be happy, but wasn't happy. If I just accumulate all this wealth and have a cattle on a thousand hills, then I'll be happy. But he found out that he wasn't happy. If I just have a relationship, just have a wife, and then he said later, if I just have a different wife, <laughs> and if I have 700 wives, <laughs> literally, that's what the scripture said, and 300 concubines, and he didn't find it in a relationship as well. It was all empty. People long, if I just am in this relationship, then I'll be fulfilled. That's all I need. Heard about an elderly woman that always wanted to be married. She never married, and this was something that she wanted to do. Not everybody wants to be married, but she felt called to do it, but it just did not work out for her, and she was kind of bitter about it, and so she decided to put her will together, and she said when she died, she did not want any male pallbearers. They said, well, why is that? She says, well, if these guys wouldn't take me out while I was living, I don't want them to take me out <laughs> when I, I know that's bad. But what I'm saying is Solomon didn't have that problem. He didn't have that problem. He could take out anybody he wanted to. He had been there, done that, got the t-shirt. And then what was his assessment of life? Chapter one, verses one and two, he said this. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. He came to the place where he realized that all these things that he had what would the ultimate purpose they serve that eventually would not be taken away in 70 to 80 years in death? I said, faith is a decision. We make a decision to believe. The difference between Solomon and another guy in the Old Testament is massive. His name was Jeremiah. Jeremiah felt a call. He felt a purpose. In fact, even when enemies were at his gate, in a sense, of nearly surrounding Jerusalem, he, he felt a purpose because his purpose was beyond himself. He believed that God had called him, he said, even in his mother's womb. And what he was doing, he was doing because life was greater. The Apostle Paul spoke of that. We're saved for a purpose. Ephesians chapter two, he talks about, it's a free gift, for by grace you've been saved through faith, it is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. That's verse eight and nine, not of works. But then he goes on to 10, these familiar words. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do that we are God's masterpiece, another translation says. We are God's workmanship. We have a purpose. We were created. Do you know your purpose? Uh, a few days ago, right before Labor Day, so I wasn't here last Sunday, I watched online. I, was, I took a couple personal vacation days. I'd never been to Memphis before, and of course the Fitzpatricks, they served down there, and so I thought, 
you know, I want to go down and see some sights. I even text Fitz and I said, what's the best BBQ? And he, he helped me out there. So thanks. It was good, by the way. And, but the reason I wanted to go there, I wanted to visit the National Civil Rights Museum in the city and the Lorraine Motel that is still there as a, as a museum. And now many of you know of this very historic place in American history. It was on April the 4th, 1968, a few years before I was born, that Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated there standing on the balcony, and they have a special wreath there right at the door, right at the place he was at. I remember standing in, in front of that right there in the parking lot just looking up and, and just uh, taking in the moment and, and what that means even for my life today to carry on the dream and, and your life as well. Martin Luther King Jr., he was in Memphis to address poverty in the city. He had a purpose. And it's very interesting what he said, where that purpose came from. In fact, he, he, he said this uh, a little before that time. He says, before I was a civil rights leader, I was a preacher of the gospel. <laughs> this was my first calling, and it still remains my greatest commitment. You know, actually... All that I do in civil rights, I do because I consider it a part of my ministry, folks. Everything that MLK did was because of the gospel, because of the ministry. Okay, that was his calling of God. And what I'm doing in this struggle, along with many others, grows out of my feeling that the preacher must be concerned about the whole person, not merely his soul, but his body. Amen? And that's why we say we love Jesus. We want to do something about it. Yes, we want more people to, to depopulate the quarters of hell and increase the population of heaven. But it's not just an, an act that we, that we do in a, in a, in a simple prayer. It, it is that we are called to be God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. We were saved to serve. We were saved to serve. And MLK realized that, and he was, he was there in Memphis to address the systematic challenges of that time, uh, and um, he was fulfilling ministry. Here's the life question for you. What's your eternal purpose? Is it just to have a good lunch today? You're either here to simply reproduce, <laughs> survive, or accumulate as many things as you can. Whoever has the most toys still dies. <laughs> or you're here for a purpose. Which one makes you more fully human? Which one will make you, in the end, more fully alive? Here at Gingsburg Church, we want to do our very best to help you discover your purpose. And we're on a journey together. And so, so this takes time. One of the things we'd like to invite you to do is, if you haven't already, is to join our followers life group where you can learn about what it means to be a follower of the Lord Jesus and to connect in ministry with one another. We're, we're kicking that off again next Sunday. You can go online or call into the church this week, get more information of how you can be part of this life group, this followers life class. It'll be getting soon. And another 
offering that we have for adults in the church that will be starting up in a couple months is the Alpha Course, where we begin to ask these tough questions of life and we discover God's purpose for us individually and corporately. On January 12, 2010, a horrific earthquake hit the country of Haiti, 7.0 in magnitude, killing over 200,000 people and impacting 3 million people. So think about more than half the population of, of Dayton just dying like this. And then all the surrounding area of the Miami Valley and southwest Ohio, three million people being impacted by this hurt, by this earthquake. Pastor Adam Hamilton, who's the senior pastor of Church of the Resurrection, Kansas City, who is actually taught on this stage as a guest in the past, tells of the time that he was there. He went down for some of the relief work after the earthquake and was part of all that and soaked in all of the tragedy. And he was coming back home and he was on a Southwest Airlines flight, um, connecting flight from Houston to Dallas. And he was sitting, sitting by a woman. At first, she didn't know who he was. And they were talking about his experience in Haiti, talking about the devastation and all the death and how tragic it is. She, she realized he was a pastor. And so she said to him in a very honest way, well, pastor, how can you believe in God after seeing all of this before you and all of human suffering? How could you believe that, that God exist? Honest question. A person with doubts. And here is what he said. He said, first of all, I don't believe that God causes earthquakes. Earthquakes are part of the system that this earth must have to maintain itself. The planet couldn't support life without having earthquakes happening. It's tragic when human beings get caught up in the middle of that, but it wasn't God's doing. Then he said, but here's the thing. Take God out of the equation. Say there is no God. There's still an earthquake. There's still 200,000 people dead and thousands of others who have lost their closest friends, their children, their moms, their dads. And if there is no God, they will never see them again. Right now, there are nearly a million people sleeping in tents every night in camps. You take away God, you have just taken away their only source of hope. You've taken away the one they are singing hymns to in the middle of the night. You haven't solved anything. You've just taken away hope. Here's the deal. My friends, if you believe, which you have every right to believe, if you believe that you are just a product of random chance, you're a cosmic accident, you are a product of being evolved out of the organic soup of nothing, that your life and my life is just by chance, one big biological mistake, then the people in Haiti, the people 
in the towers of 9-11. People of tragedy. They were just at the wrong place at the wrong time. Tough luck. That's the way the ball bounces. Because basically we're all in a survival of the fittest until we die. Friends, this is the weak point of atheism right here. You're, you're, you're saying, but pastor, if God is there, then why doesn't God just roll up his sleeves and come down and tell us he's here? Be with us, talk with us, walk with us. Well, I say he already has in a place called Bethlehem in the person of Jesus Christ. Where was God in the midst of 9-11? Where was God in the midst of Haiti? God was with the suffering. God was with the firefighters, with the medics. Because on the cross, he became a suffering God. On the cross, this is our faith. We make a decision to believe. He took on not only our personal sin, but he took on the pain and the shame of the world. I began this message by saying, we're almost through, we make a decision to believe. And this is just the beginning. We're going deeper, believe me. So don't miss any Sunday. We're going deeper. But I'll never forget, uh, about 20 years ago, maybe nearly 25 years ago, I was a young pastor in the Miami Valley and Got a call in the middle of the night that one of my friends about my age, we were in our early 30s, he was tragically killed here. And I went to see the family at the hospital and his body was there in the emergency room. And I, I remember standing before my, my friend. What do you say? The Sunday school little sayings that you learn, they don't mean much. All I could do in that moment is go back to a statement of faith that I learned at 12 years old in confirmation. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Friends, we make a decision. We look to purpose of life. I want to invite you today to stand, and we're going to say that historic creed. Some of you know it, some of you don't. The church came together in the fifth century and said, let's put together a statement of what we believe as followers of Jesus. And this statement has stood the test of time. It's a mirror of scripture of what we believe, not just as Jesus followers, but what this church believes. Let's declare our faith. It's called the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And in, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the death. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, 
and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we've declared our faith. We've made a decision today. I thank you that you have a purpose and plan for our lives, that we are created beings and that we're being molded in the image of your son. We thank you, Lord, that you weep with us when we weep and someday all things will be made right and new. Until that day, Lord, give us your dream. Give us your vision to serve your purpose, not only here in this place, but throughout the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. If you agree, say amen. I hope you enjoyed today's message. I've got two invitations for you before you go. First, subscribe to our podcast so it shows up in your feed every week. And if today's message inspired you and you would like more people to hear it, you can give a financial gift through the Gingosburg app or online at gingosburg.org.